Uh, well, hello, everybody. My name is Prentice. For those of you that I have not yet met, or for those of you online uh, watching that I've not yet met, my name is Prentice, and I get to the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, I want to welcome everyone that is here uh, in person. And for many of you that decided to, to stay home on this rainy day uh, doing church in your pajamas, we will welcome you as well. Uh, and for those that will be watching this week, uh, so glad that you can join us as we continue our series uh, called The Invitation to Wholeness. And it's this question that we are asking as a community, what does it look like? What does it mean? What does it entail for us to be whole? And we talked a little bit about that word whole. We are using the word, the Hebrew idea of shalom, of this, of this peace that is not contingent upon any exterior uh, happenings or situations in our life, that no matter what, through the peace of Jesus, that we're able to feel this peace, this shalom, inside and out. And, and last week, we talked about this idea that in order to experience that shalom, that wholeness, it, it really starts with us acknowledging and embracing and receiving the love of God. It sounds so simple, yet it is so difficult to know that no matter what we've done, no matter what history we have, no matter what wrongs or mistakes or, or hurts that we've caused others, that at the, end of the at the end of the day that God still loves us, we are loved. And, and to experience wholeness begins with that understanding. But what we'll see this morning is that not only does, does it require us to embrace and receive God's love, like, like, like running to the father as we read in the prodigal son story, the lost son, it also entails us taking the, that love, the love that God has given us, and loving others, and to be in relationship with others in community. Not doing life alone. I know that the last couple of years, especially in this time of pandemic, it's been hard. It's, it, it, you know, it's been the right thing to do. And now we're in this season where we're, where we're reevaluating what it looks like to be a part of community again. And so here we are. And it requires us to ask these questions. Okay, God loves us. We, we receive that. Now, what do we do with that love, and the answer to that we'll be talking about, and it requires, and, and it's required in order for us to enter into wholeness. And, and it's timely because, again, as, as Taylor was talking about, there's a lot of pains in the world right now with what happened in Buffalo, the racially motivated shooting that killed 10 people, injured three, what's happening in Ukraine and, and, and with, with Russia, and what's happening in our own backyard with our own issues of homelessness and systemic racism and, and all these things. We have to ask, what does it look like in light of all of this, not just to experience love ourselves, but to love others? And so with that said, our text comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, and the word of the Lord says this, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have loved us. You've loved us first. You loved us you love us best. And because of that, may we in turn love others, those that are deemed unlovable, those in the margins, those that think different than us, those that look different than us. May we have the capacity to love others the way that you have loved us, even in, in our own mess. May we love others in the same way. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but something that I, and I'll just get a little personal here, something that I've been working through my own therapist right now uh, is my lack of vulnerability. And, and I don't know, I, I always joke and I always chalk it up to, and I talk about this a lot, uh, my own Enneagram. And for those of you that are not familiar with the Enneagram, that's not a big deal. Uh, it's this uh, I don't want to say typology necessarily, but it's just this, this thing, this typology that gives us language to, to share what our experience has been and how we express ourselves. And, and it's not something that we, are, uh, that we give ourselves and that is just all of who we are. It's not this thing that we uh, give identity to, but again, it's just a tool to help us understand how and why we function the way we do. Uh, and for many of you know that uh, my Enneagram type is eight, and uh, it's deemed as the challenger, someone that likes to speak up. And if you've asked my wife or any of my coworkers, that pretty much sums it up. And a big part of what I'm unpacking when it comes to identifying with this Enneagram 8 is my lack of vulnerability, because the lack of vulnerability, in my experience, especially speaking of a, an Asian American background, uh, a lack of, is a sign of weakness. To be vulnerable is to be weak. And right now, I'm unpacking that right now and how to navigate that to actually show vulnerability because what we acknowledge and what we see in the scriptures is that to love one another, to be in relationship with one another, the prerequisite of that, the requirement of that is the ability to be vulnerable with one another. If we truly say we love one another, we love this person, we love that person, or we truly say we want to be in this community filled with love, whether it's this church, whether it's a small group, whether it's a group of friends, it is impossible to be in that type of relationship that has depth, that has meaning without vulnerability. A vulnerability that is reciprocated, that is given and that is received in an environment without judgment, an environment that feels safe, an environment that feels received and loved, and someone that is willing to walk life with you in the midst of no matter what you share, no matter what you're going through. If you want to know what a community looks like, relationships look like, that's filled with love in the way that God describes love, it must, it, it must include vulnerability. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book called The Four Loves. He says, to love is to be vulnerable. 
You see, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. And we've experienced that before. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, if you want to make sure to keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully, your heart, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And I love this quote because what he's saying is if you, if, if you don't want your heart broken, and we've all experienced this, when we give of ourselves our vulnerability, our truthfulness, and we show up exactly the way we are with everything that we have, there are moments that our heart is broken, that we are rejected, that we are hurt, that we are judged, that we are criticized, or whatever it is. And what C.S. Lewis is saying, okay, yes, that is part of what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to be in relationship. But if you don't want that, go ahead and lock it up, be in a safe place, don't give it to anybody, make sure that it's hidden, make sure you do in his words, put it in a casket or a coffin where it will not be disturbed. But guess what? If you do that, you will be missing out on, on life, on what God has intended for us from the very beginning of time because we were designed to be in relationship with others. And we see this in, in two major ways in scriptures. We see this in the way that, the, that, in the way that God created all of humanity when God created humanity, we see in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 that things were not good until there was relationship between the first humans, Adam and Eve. And until Eve was created, uh, for the first time, God says, well, wait a minute, things are just, things are not good. Low tov, not good. And then God said, okay, may I, I will create a companionship friendship, a, a community, though, between two people. And, and once Eve was created, for the first time, God says, not only is it good, but it's very good. It is very good. Now, things are complete after the seven days, after the rest. Now, things are complete. We're on this earth with nature, with God, with others. Now, things are good. We were created to be in relationship from the very beginning of time. And secondly, this idea of relationship is in the very nature of who God is. And uh, as, as Christians, especially as Orthodox Christians, we believe in the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Theologians call this uh, a, a relational Trinitarianism relational trinitarianism essentially the nature of the triune god is relationship there's a mysterious though it's one god there's this mysterious relationship between the father the son and the spirit uh, one other theologian carl bart he refers to the trinity as this as the basis i love this part as the basis and prototype of all relationships. You see, we were created to be loved by a triune God 
and in return, use that love as a basis, as a prototype for others. So in other words, we're loved by a triune God, and we are to return that love to others as God loved us. And this is what it means to be an authentic, genuine community and relationship with others. Now the problem is we've complicated this idea, haven't we? I could speak for myself. I know that I have. Our culture today says that love is to come with a contract attached, very antithetical to how God has created what love means and what love is. In other words, uh, we as a culture, we've created this idea of love and we've attached conditions and parameters. Again, completely antithetical to how God has made and created love. And we see this in heartbreaking ways. Even in our own lives, even in the last few years, and we, we have this uh, sentence, as long as, and then you fill in the blank, I will love you, I will accept you, I will be in community with you. As long as you look like me, I will love you. As long as you vote like me, I will love you. As long as you think like me, as long as you believe the way I believe, uh, even in the Christian circle, uh, the, the, the fill in the blank is, as long as you believe in these particular doctrines as I believe, then I will love you. As long as you agree with everything, all the news sources, all the social, whatever it is, as long as you agree or like me, then I will love you then I can be in relationship with you. We see this in, in subtle ways. I mean, you may not say as long as fill in the blank things out loud, but if you're anything like me, we've thought it, and, and we feel this and experience this in subtle ways with our internal judgment. How, could, how dare that person think that? How dare that person disagree? What is that person thinking? And we so quickly villainize. And we so quickly place ourselves as a hero of every story. And we see this in subtle ways, again, with internal judgment and hypocrisy. We see this in, in what I guess pop culture would say, canceling of one another. Now, that's different from setting accountability and boundaries. That's not what I'm talking about. But we're so quick to say, you know what? Because you disagree with me, I'm done with you. We see this ex in, in extreme ways, like we saw in Buffalo, like, we, like we've seen in violence towards uh, Asian and Asian American bodies in the last few years, especially how because there's this, there's this viewpoint of ethnocentric ideologies, that one race is better than others, uh, because you don't look like me, you don't talk like me, then I have the right to hurt you, physically cause violence on you. That is the most extreme way. And you see, the love that God calls us to is often at ends with how the culture teaches us to love. In 1 John, really in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it was written by, you guessed it, his name was John. In uh, John, not the brother of Jesus, but, the, but another apostle. John was a popular name, uh, especially in the first century, even really still today. And he's writing to believers. We don't exactly know where the believers are located. All we know is that the Apostle John is writing to believers in the faith 
that are experiencing uh, heresy of the day. And not only are they hearing heresy, but they're falling into the trap of that belief. And the heresy of the day was considered or was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was this dualistic belief. And, and some of us, whether we know it or not, we have this Gnostic belief in and of ourselves, is that there's the difference between a physical uh, or the material and the immaterial. And so what Gnosticism believes is that anything material is bad. In other words, our human bodies are bad. Uh, other people's bodies are bad. This earth is bad. And that the, 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 the better, what is good, is the image of the soul, the spirit, uh, or even escaping this world. So, so if you believed in Gnosticism, really it wasn't a belief necessarily. It was a, it was a philosophical idea. It wasn't a religion. Uh, but this ideology is what people were falling into. They were believing that the physical is bad. We want to get out of this body. We want to go to this supernatural place called heaven. We want to escape the material world so that we can be with God, which is all spirit. Now, you can imagine that this causes a lot of conflict in their actual life. A, they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, because why would you then come back as a human form? That doesn't make sense. You should be freed from it. They, didn't either, they, they either believed that Jesus uh, wasn't real at all, or Gnosticism said that Jesus was actually never a physical body, that he was just a spiritual form the entire time, and we didn't know it in the first century. So the ultimate goal for Gnosticism was to be freed from their mortal bodies because it was considered bad. It was this dualistic idea, really, that came from Plato. And many of us, we, we actually still live like this today. And so in 1 John chapter 4, uh, he opens up to chapter like this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets, so they're talking about the prophets of the time, of the, of the Gnostic prophets, have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Notice that he says, here's how you test whether something is true or not, especially as believers. What is their message on Jesus? The Gnostic message, again, uh, of Jesus would be that either Jesus wasn't real or Jesus wasn't flesh. Because flesh is bad. If Jesus is actually good, if Jesus is actually God, there's no way Jesus would be in the flesh, in human form, in, in human form incarnate. And, and so what, what John is saying is, here's how you test it out. What are the people saying? What are you hearing? Are you hearing that, yes, indeed, Jesus came to this earth as a, as a son of God in human form to, to find solidarity and to identify with all of us? If you are hearing that, then you're on the right track. If you're hearing that Jesus is, was just a spiritual being, never in actual human form, then you might want to reevaluate what you believe. And that was the test that John was saying. And so again, because the Gnostics didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, or really the resurrection of anybody at all. They thought the world was all evil and nothing good could come of it and it would one day be destroyed anyways. 
I mean, it's kind of like that theology that many people have. And if this is you, then it's okay. But many people, we have this, this theology that all we're looking forward to when we die is to go to this place called heaven, which is in the sky, super far away in a different universe. And this earth will then rapture, which is a common word, and I don't know what, like blow up or something. I don't know. And then everyone goes to heaven in this magical place. And this is what I envisioned. And we have wings and, and we would just like hang out with, with Jesus and, and all these things. And, and I think that there's, a, there, there's, there's goodness in that theology and the fact that we're going to be together. There's an eternal life and we're going to be together with Christ. But I wonder if that misses something because the way, and again, if you disagree with me, that's okay. There's different thoughts of what we call eschatology of the end times. And really, this isn't even a sermon on the end times anyways. Uh, But what I'm convinced of is that Jesus will come to earth and renew this earth. The new heavens and the new earth is what N.T. Wright calls it, a prominent scholar that I love and follow. And the ideology of us just rapturing and going to a place called heaven is this. The problem oftentimes is that then we don't care about what's happening around us. We don't care about the people. We don't care about the environment. We don't care about the planet. We don't care about really, and this, I know this is a general statement, but we don't really care about what's happening here and now because the belief is that one day we're going to escape this world and be in heaven anyways. And so that's a very Gnostic belief. The Gnostics during the first century believed the same thing. Why should I care about anything else, anybody else, anything on this earth? Because I'm out of here and my spirit is going to be out of here and it's going to be with God regardless of what they believed about Jesus. And secondly, the other big thought in Gnosticism was that the goal in life was to receive special knowledge. So Gnosticism Uh, gnosis, it comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge, that they would receive special knowledge from God. And it's essentially this idea of enlightenment. That those that are enlightened will then know that they are the ones that will be going to heaven and leaving everybody and everything else. Now you see, the biggest problem then was the denial, not only of the triune God, but the denial of the need for others, especially if physical bodies were considered bad, and the goal was to hear from God in order to have this individual relationship with God, in order to then be enlightened and then go to this place called heaven. You see, the problem that the Gnostics were experiencing, maybe they didn't know this at the time, was that they got so caught up, and these were really Christians, These Christians were so caught up in different doctrines and theologies in different worldviews, especially influenced by Gnosticism, that they ended up not caring about who was around them. They they put themselves out of community. They didn't care about the marginalized. They didn't care about their own friendships, generally speaking. They didn't care about others because, again, it didn't matter. All that was evil and bad, and they wanted to escape it anyways. And the whole purpose of John writing his letter is, okay, people, friends, Christians, 
You've, you've, you've lost your ways. You've gotten stuck in all these ideologies and Gnosticism and all these false teachings. You've removed yourself from community. You've stopped loving people. And John's actual message throughout all the letters is, it's time to get back to the basics. That was the bottom line of John as he's writing these letters. It's time to get back to the basics. And, and the basics are these fundamental facts. He says, again, I'll read it again in, in verse 7, Dear friend, let us love one another. If you want to get back to the basics, forget all the doctrine, forget all the worldviews, forget all your uh, you know, bickering of, of what doctrine and theology is right and what is good, let's just get back to the basics. And John says, the basic is this, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Basically saying, you say you love God, but, but there's an oxymoron going on. There's a contradiction because you're saying that you love God because many of them are saying, I have this individual relationship with God. Uh, it's the gnosis. It's a special knowledge. That's what Gnosticism is about. And so therefore, I don't need anybody else. And what John is saying, that is an absolute oxymoron. If you say you love God, you must love others. You can't say, I love God, and then say, you know what? I don't care about other people because this life is just about me and my relationship with God. Even God in God's self is saying, no, that's wrong. If you want to be in relationship with me, this is what God is saying, you must be in loving relationship with those around you. And then John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since, this is the, this is the punchline, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's time to get back to the basics. John is essentially describing what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 22. When the disciples came, they said, Teachers, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Basically, Jesus, if you want to know one thing, what is it? Out of all these commandments, these were, uh, these were uh, devout Jews. They knew the Ten Commandments. And they said, Jesus, out of all the commandments, what is the most important one? And Jesus replied, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Gotcha. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this verse. It says, and the law and the prophet hang, the laws and the, and the prophet hang on these commandments. Basically, Jesus is saying, let me make it easy for you, devout Jews who obeyed all the Ten Commandments. Basically, he's saying you don't even have to memorize all Ten Commandments. All you have to do is love God with everything you have and love others again with everything you have. As long as you do those two things, then you will, by default, as a byproduct, be in obedience and accordance with all the commandments that you, that you have ever learned. Love God and love others. 
It's time to get back to the basics. Now, in English, we basically have one word for love, right? So love. We love our spouses. We love our family members, our siblings. We love our friends. We love chocolate cake. We love cheeseburgers and fries. We love milkshakes. In other words, love is the same word in the English dictionary for all of those things. In the Greek and even in the Hebrew, there are multiple ways to describe different types of love. There's eros love, which we get the word erotic. That's more of a romantic love. There's philia, which is a uh, brotherly, sisterly love, where we get the word Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. So there's those two different kinds of love. There's uh, storge love, which is more of a familial love, like a love between family members. There's a, and then there's an, a, an agape love, which I'm sure if you've been around the church, you've heard this word before. It's, it's a word that describes an unconditional love, a love without conditions. Really, what we talked about earlier is it's the opposite of what we've been taught of what love is in our culture today. Today, love says, well, love comes with stipulations. Love comes with, uh, with contracts. Love comes with conditions. As long as you fulfill this part of, uh, of fill in the blank, as long as you think like me, love like me, you know, eat like me, look, as agree with me, vote like me, then I will love you. As long as I can benefit from your presence somehow, then I will love you. And, and the way that the Bible describes love, especially Jesus, when he says agape love, it's, you know what, there are no conditions. You will love others the way that I have loved you, which is God has loved us without conditions. We talked about that last week, and that is good news for all of us. That no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter how we've messed up, no matter what, God loves us because God loves us with an agape love, an unconditional love. And that is the very way that we are called to love others. And I bet right now you're, you're, you're clenching because you're thinking about people that, is, that are just so darn difficult to love, and yet here is this commandment, love others the way that I have loved you. But here's the deal, because God has loved us first, we too have been, have been given the capacity, whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it or not, we, all of us, we've been given the capacity to love others with this radical and sacrificial love that we have received from God through Jesus. It's time for us to get back to the basics. We have complicated things. We've complicated things. The reiteration of, of 1 John chapter 4, we can see even in Philippians, when Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul explains what that mindset is, which is essentially saying, here's what love looks like. Here's what agape love looks like. It looks like this. Who, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you want to know what agape love looks like? First, agape love is sacrificial and self-giving. Like Jesus on the cross, who died on our behalf, again, all of our behalf, shows us that love is sacrificial. Now we, now, we may not have to ever, and thank God, have to sacrifice our physical lives, but what does it look like to be in relationship with others? It requires us being vulnerable, first and foremost, and maybe I'm projecting the vulnerability on you all because that's probably the hardest part for me is that I have to sacrifice my pride, my ego, my own family systems of how I grew up. I have to sacrifice my own safety and comfort in order to, to be in vulnerable, loving community in relationship with other people. Maybe for you, what sacrifice looks like is your time. You know, how many of us often have opportunities to be in relationship with others, whether it's going out and hanging out, whether it's a conversation on the phone, and yet we say, you know what, I would, but I just don't have time. Maybe it's resources. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in your own vulnerability where you're afraid to give of yourselves. And oftentimes, it's so hard for many of us to give and put ourselves on the line and give of ourselves, yet it is easier to receive others. What is it about ourselves that oftentimes we have a hard time loving and expressing and being non-judgmental of? I don't know what it is. All I know is that to love and to be in relationship with one another requires a sacrificial, radical, self-giving kind of love. We see that through the person of Jesus on the cross who did not consider himself equal to God, rather came down as human and died like a criminal because of that self-given sacrificial love. We also see humility that Jesus, again, did not consider himself as equal to God, yet comes down to be in relationship with humanity and also dies with criminals again. In order for us to be in a loving relationship, we must enter into it with humility, not thinking we are better than anybody else. Again, this is really difficult because what about the person that you disagree with? What about the person that you were always taught as a child to hate or to dislike because they look and speak different? What about when culture says, you know what, this person voted differently than you, this person thinks differently about masks and this pandemic than you, uh, around Black Lives Matter, around policing, around all these things, this person thinks differently than you. Our culture has taught us, okay, if that's the case, then we must hate or be divided with one another, what if we entered into that relationship believing, you know what, no matter how much we disagree, we are equally created in the image of God. This makes relationship much easier. This makes forgiving much easier. This makes for us to understand and hear, our, hear each other's stories much easier. This makes loving much easier. 
Because again, I, I quote this time after time, Brene Brown, she says that it is impossible to hate someone up close. It is impossible to hate somebody up close. And so when we put ourselves at a distance with others because they think and look differently than us, and we see them as unlovable, as uh, unredeemable, you'd be surprised if we humbled ourselves and paid attention with curiosity and asked questions and heard stories. I wonder if that barrier of hatred would actually collapse. Not that there would be uniformity, not that you would all of a sudden believe and conform to what they believe, but, but just the very fact that you understand that, that they're human with their own experiences. And then in Philippians, in verse 9, and lastly, it says, it says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, on earth uh, and in under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, at the end of time, the truth will be revealed that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we love like Jesus loved, not only is that sacrificial and self-giving, not only is that uh, humble or a place of humility, but it requires truthfulness. Truthfulness. Love, to love and be in relationship isn't just accepting and saying, okay, yeah, whatever you do, great, good. Oh, you're hurting me in that fashion? Hey, keep going because I love you. Oh, you're hurting the other person? Oh, great. Yeah, you keep going. Oh, you're hurting yourself and, and in your relationship with God and you have these destructive patterns and unhealthy behavior. To love one another is not to say, awesome, good job. No matter what you do, I'm going to love you. No, that's not what love is. Love does not enable. Love does not empower. Love does not perpetuate hurt and destructiveness. Love does not even perpetuate the, the status quo that we see oftentimes. We, we've seen this idea of love being hijacked and co-opted in order to perpetuate uh, a, a, a status quo. But love requires us to speak the truth. And the truth is what happened yesterday in Buffalo is sheer evil. And, and, the, and the truth of it that we see and even the authorities see is that it was racially motivated. It was due to racism. And there's a lot of evidence as to why it was. And we must speak out in truth because it's a loving thing to do is to say that is not of God, that is evil, and we must speak against it. We see this even in our own neighborhoods with drive-by shootings and, and again, structural and, and systemic racism. We see this when we don't even acknowledge the homeless person. We see this in, in so many different ways. And us as believers, as Christians, it's time to get back to the basics and truly love others the way that God has loved us. It doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter how they love others. It doesn't matter what foods they eat. doesn't matter how much they disagree with you politically. It's time to get back to the basics. And I would imagine if we as Christians, the church, can just come back to the basics, the world would look so, so differently. If we can love without condition the way that we were loved, 
the world would look so different. May we get back to the basics, not get caught up in the politics, in the theologies, in status of ethnicities, of culture. May we just love unconditionally, vulnerably, with all that we have. That is what it means to be in, in, in loving relationship with others, the way that God has designed for us, that God longs for us to be in. May this new season be filled with just that, not just isolation, not just this idea of wanting to escape the world, not just this idea of just me and God, just me and God. Yes, it is between us and God. There's a vertical, our faith has a vertical element but our faith has a horizontal element just as much. And it must all be included. So as I invite the worship team back up in a time of reflection, maybe for us it's a time not just of reflection, but of confession. I feel like as a church we don't do this well. But maybe it's a time, it's time for us to enter into a time of inventory, asking God, God, reveal to me, this is a prayer for myself, how have I failed to love others? Have I failed to love others by exclusion? Have I failed to love, love others out of pride and ego as a, from a sense of I'm better than them? Have I failed to love because I, I, I stayed silent in the midst of injustice? How have I failed to love? Will we just all just close our eyes right now? May we just pray that prayer, that prayer of, of question slash confession, because maybe God has revealed something in us where we have failed. And may we just seek forgiveness, and may we repent. It's just, it's just a spiritual word for may we change of that way. And may we pursue love the way that God has loved us. May we not hoard God's love. May we give it away freely as, as we have received freely. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your love. And with that love, we can give away freely. May we not hoard it. May we not keep it to ourselves. But may we give it away sacrificially with humility, not thinking of ourselves as better than others, and truthfully. Forgive us for the ways that we have failed to love, but may we be an agent of that, your love. That is what it means to be whole. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen and amen.